So before I begin, I'd like to thank Asha the Seeker and Safina the Jailer for opening up and sharing their experiences on this day, our first day of high school, and the darker days that followed. My hope is that the pieces they provided will give you, the listener, a deeper understanding of Nawi's story. Welcome to Sunset High School. Oh, it was big. Way bigger than middle school. And there was this dude, and he caught me staring, but I couldn't help it. I mean, he went there, junior or senior, I think, and he had a full-on beard. Before that moment, the only other folks I saw with beards were teachers, other grown-ups, and Miss Odom from the 8th grade. But let me tell you. There were so many people, tall, short, not so tall, but somewhere in the middle, massive and super duper thin. They were every size and shape. And while I took this in like an astronaut stepping into a strange alien civilization, now he looked unimpressed. (laughs) Part of it was because she was just downright cranky that morning. She hadn't gotten much sleep the previous night, and it wasn't all about that battle she'd had with Auk. Naima, the cheetah with a gut, kept sniffing her, something she never did. Not only did she sniff her, she sniffed all around her bed and every inch of her room, all night. And she was making weird cheetah sounds. Odd, right? That morning... Naima kept blocking the door and wouldn't let her out. At one point, she bit down on Naui's pant leg and tried to hold her back. Naui tried everything, yelled at her, reasoned with her, even rubbed her tummy, easily Naima's favorite thing on the planet, but that didn't work either. After pretending that she would actually stay, Naui ran out and shut the door. She could hear Naima scratching at it, but didn't have the time to feel guilty. She was already running late. I hadn't told Naui this at the time, but one of the things I was most excited about was seeing high school through her eyes. She'd been homeschooled up to that point and had never actually been to a public school. Everything was going to be so new for her, and I wondered how she would react. Of course... Naui being Naui, the second I talked about how big everything was, she said that this was nothing compared to Nunubia, where she'd been training. And this wasn't a surprise, by the way. Every single toy I ever showed her growing up, including my Raider racing bike, the stars in the sky, and the air we breathe, were nothing compared to Nunubia. And honestly... It just made me want to see it that much more, but it wasn't going to happen. I'm a dude, 
as you can obviously tell, and the Lightning Tribe, if you haven't already figured it out, is made up of all women. Men weren't allowed on the training grounds, which were hidden underneath the ruins of Kush, so yeah, it was annoying. I pulled out my schedule, and Naoi pulled out hers. I looked over and quickly realized that we at least had first period together. Good. Then she looked around. Our first classroom was C12, not to worry. I'd created an app for navigating the halls of Sunset and I was excited to test it out. I fired it up on my phone. Well, the map was a bit crude, fully three-dimensional of course, with a built-in navigational system and voice-activated commands, but I still wasn't completely satisfied with 3D modeling. It lacked a certain real-world feeling, I guess, and three, two, one, there was a voice behind us counting down. I turned toward the sound of that voice and took in the most beautiful masterpiece my eyes had ever beheld. She was petite, but I knew that inside that tiny, perfect form, there was a spark so powerful that it could literally kickstart my heart if it ever stopped. Her name, Mach 3, the greatest camera in existence. And it was being held incorrectly, I might add, by Leia Nagasaki, who looked into its elegant lens with a beaming smile and said, Welcome back to Leia's Laws, the daily vlog that helps you to navigate through these treacherous seas known as high school. Today, we begin a new series on how to make it through your freshman year. Then she paused. Excuse me. She said, you're in my shot. Was she talking to us? Naoi and I looked around. Hmm. Still a bunch of people in the hall. Seems like they could be in her shot too. Naoi said, yeah, so is everybody else. With a smile as radiant as the sun, Leia looked Naoi up and down then responded, everybody isn't wearing a pair of sweats and a hoodie on the first day of school. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of sporty in a hideous sort of way. Leia and Naoi stared each other down. A spark popped out of Naoi's pocket where I imagine she was carrying Aja, her weapon. Oh, I don't know came a deep voice from behind. I think it depends on who's wearing them. Now he turned and took in Oscar for the first time. He was maybe an inch or so taller than me, though now he swore it was more like a foot. Six foot four? I don't think so, though I'll admit that I had to tilt my head just a bit to see his face. He had on this torn up baseball cap with paint stains and ripped fabric. A stupid looking giant O was stitched into the front panel of the cap and its lid obscured honey brown eyes. His skin was as dark as onyx and 
smooth as silk. By the way, <laughs> these were Nawi's words. Want to know what I thought of them? For those of you who watched Sesame Street growing up, remember that grouch that lived in the trash can? With both Nawi and Leia gazing up at him, he extended his hand toward Nawi. Oscar, he said, smiling, his dimples suddenly visible. But you can call me O. Side note, for the record, I've always felt that people with dimples are untrustworthy. Just me. A second bell rang, followed by the blast of a shrill whistle. Time to get the class. Let's go, people. Go, go, go. That booming voice belonged to Officer Dutton, a security guard with neither a thread or a strand of hair out of place. Oscar pulled out a crinkled up piece of paper, glanced down at it, then looked around and said, Just transferred. You don't happen to know your way around this place, do you? I casually covered my phone screen, and before Nawi could open her mouth, Leia's hand snatched O's. No worries, she said. I gotcha, O. I'm Leia. As he was being dragged off, he turned back toward Nawi and asked, See you at lunch? Lunch? She suddenly seemed to have forgotten the meaning of the word. I looked down at my app, pinpointed our first period class, and under the suspicious eye of Officer Dutton said, Come on, we're going to be late. As we walked, I could have sworn I saw something dark peek out of the side of Nawi's backpack, like a bug, but it disappeared too quickly to be sure. Over 8,000 miles away, with the sun sinking into the horizon, Asha was conducting a textbook search among the crumbling pyramids of Kush. Underneath her bare feet and the warm golden sands between her toes was New Nubia, where the vast majority of the tribe lived and trained. Being this close to home always made Asha feel claustrophobic. Unlike Naui, who worshipped the place, Asha would have rather been anyplace else on the planet and very much enjoyed the freedom of traveling the world. In some strange way, though she'd never admit it, Commander Ox's escape had been a blessing. Because if it wasn't for that, she would have been called home like the rest of the Seekers. Overhead, circling far above the ruins, was Asha's falcon Har, a second set of eyes in the sky. As darkness fell, Asha first looked around, making sure that she was alone, then extended her wooden ring toward a group of pyramids. The glyphs etched into the ring's surface lit up and a glowing eye materialized at the center of each pyramid, projecting a golden beam that swept the grounds like spotlights. But they weren't going to find him. Not the beams or Har's razor-sharp vision, because Asha didn't believe that Ak was even there. The commander was many horrible things, but he wasn't a fool. Coming to New Nubia, home of the Lightning Tribe, alone? 
he'd be caught or destroyed, and if that happened, Seth and his army were finished. And that ache in the pit of her stomach she felt in that moment, the one that pinched her tummy from the inside when Seth was close, was simply wishful thinking. Asha aimed her ring toward an ancient archway and said, Open. The archway swelled with light, and a bolt of lightning blazed down from the center of it and struck the sand, which drained away to reveal a stairway extending underground. This was the entrance to New Nubia, and being thorough, as she always was, she knew she had to check it. Just as her eyes began to sweep the area, she glimpsed a tiny movement near one of the steps. A few grains of sand shifted as if something was underneath it. Without taking her eyes off that spot, she slowly reached into her pocket and pulled out an ancient-looking jar covered in hieroglyphics. This was the same jar that it captured a piece of auk the previous night, but before she could open it, a powerful wind suddenly knocked it out of her hand. It flew ten feet, and as Asha moved toward it, a cyclone composed of black sand sprouted up and cut her off. Then three more cyclones suddenly appeared. She was surrounded. Meanwhile, Safina the jailer was walking on water. Yeah, you heard me right. No need to clean your ears. She was in the middle of what looked like an ocean without end, taking a stroll. And the waves, they swelled as high as skyscrapers. Whoa. Overhead, thin fingers of lightning pierced the darkness and lit up a single massive boulder protruding out of the water. A man sat at its center, cross-legged, eyes shut, as if in quiet meditation. He was skin and bones, covered in filthy rags, and after seeing him like this for thousands of years, the thought that this pitiful creature was Seth, god of war, had almost completely faded from Safina's mind. A wave lifted her until she was level with the top of the boulder, then she carefully stepped onto it. Without looking up, Seth said, Safina, how long has it been since our last visit? A few thousand years? Or perhaps a few days? It all feels the same. Over the years, Seth's ramblings had become like background noise to Safina's ears. Ignoring him was like ignoring that um, soulless music you hear on hold or in an elevator. Last test, Fatima. Ready? asked Safina. Ready answered Fatima's disembodied voice from the sky. Safina had helped Wusa design the prison she'd named Fatima and in some ways felt the kind of connection a mother has with her child. When I'd first heard about Fatima, the living prison, she reminded me of Alcatraz in San Francisco, without the brick and steel, of course. Wusa was incapable of creating things that were dead and inanimate like steel or iron. All of her creations were living beings, including this prison. 
tornadoes made out of seawater, giant, huge, suddenly rose up and surrounded the rock like swirling pillars. Seth's scraggly hair whipped around wildly, and despite the deafening sound, Seth didn't move. Lightning came down from those spinning pillars and struck the water. The waters began to churn at that exact spot and expanded into a gigantic whirlpool. The head of a giant octopus slowly rose up from its center. It was literally as big as the sea that surrounded it with eyes that crackled with electrical light and tentacles as long as football fields. Without the slightest twitch, Seth said, give my dear sister Wusa a message, would you? Tell her that her little brother is fine, but would like to feel the sun against his face from time to time. As he spoke, Safina stared upwards at the giant octopus adoringly. She'd helped to design it as well. It was a powerful guardian, of course, but she'd wished that she could have taught it to communicate like Fatima the prison. Was it happy or sad? Did it enjoy guarding Seth and the other prisoners? Satisfied, she said in test, and the giant octopus slowly sank back into the whirlpool, which then evaporated. I promise I'll be back soon, Fatima, she said, looking up at the sky. We'll spend some quality time together. I mean it. Then she stepped back onto the ocean and walked off, disappearing into the distance. Side note, the following conversation, among others, was discovered after interrogating Fatima, the prison, years later. After Safina was gone, Fatima asked Seth what it felt like. What does what feel like, dear one? Asked Seth, still in his meditative position. The sun against your face, said Fatima. Well, it's difficult to explain. One must experience it. There was a pause, and Fatima finally said, I think I understand. One day, if you trust me enough, we could feel it together, said Seth. A prison doesn't have a face, was Fatima's only response. Then Seth said, as long as you think like one, that is all that you'll ever be. They shared a silence, then a ray of sunshine broke through a tiny section of the clouds. Seth looked up toward the sky and the light caressed his face. For the first time, he smiled. Around the same time, I was smiling too, but not just because our first period class world history was coming to a close. Actually, Naui and I had found the class to be quite entertaining, or maybe it was our teacher, Mr. Abernathy. It wasn't just that his suit was so starched that it could have stood on its own and taught the class itself, or his teeth that had been permanently stained from drinking thousands of cups of coffee in the 70 plus years he'd been on the planet. What was most entertaining about Mr. Abernathy were his nose hairs, easily visible from the back of the class where we were sitting, and the whistle sound that came from his mouth after each word. My attempts 
to accompany Mr. Abernathy in a kind of whistling musical weren't working out very well, but now he couldn't stop smiling, and that made my musical failure well worth it. Five minutes before the bell rang, out of the corner of my eye, I caught something crawling up Nowie's pant leg. I was sitting behind her, so I leaned forward to get a better look. Turned out that the bug I thought I saw earlier peeking out of the pocket of her backpack wasn't a trick of the eye. It was, in fact, a beetle, and the second my eyes confirmed this, it stopped on her thigh, and from its tiny beetle eyes projected a dark beam into Nowie's stomach. It all happened so quickly. The bell rang. I said, Nowie, there's something on your leg. Then I reached out and tried brushing it off, but my fingers passed right through it, and oh my god, I'll always remember what it felt like. It was so cold it burned. I yanked my hand back, and my Nowie, she seemed frozen in place. She wasn't moving. The class was quickly emptying out, and old whistler, Mr. Abernathy, seemed to be looking over at us. Then there was a tiny but powerful spark. Aja, maybe? No, Aja was in Nawi's pocket, and this spark seemed to come from Nawi's chest. But I can't be sure. The beetle was thrown off, and she instantly unfroze. What happened? I asked, but my eyes were following the beetle. Then I pointed, there! The beetle had scurried into the hallway, and Nawi looked disoriented. I pulled off my jacket. I thought it might just be thick enough to catch it and protect my fingers from frostbite? Whatever it was. Then I ran out. The hall was packed. I looked around wildly, thought I had lost it. Then I spotted it on the ground, weaving through what must have appeared to be tree trunks with pants from its tiny perspective. I dove on the ground, trying to pounce on it with my jacket, but a kid with a chocolate milk tripped over me and the milk launched into the air. Suddenly, Nawi was beside me on the ground. What are you doing, she said. All I could say was, Beetle, it, it did something to you. The beetle had launched itself off the ground and was now airborne. It flew out of the hall. It's outside, Nawi. It's getting away, I yelled. And still, on my knees, I abruptly ran into a pair of muscular legs in a very fashionable skirt. I looked up. Leia was staring down at me, chocolate milk dripping from her hair. Now I did all she could do not to laugh. Standing beside Leia was Officer Dutton, and he wasn't laughing. Now I and I looked at each other. This was not good. Next week, Commander Ock invades Sunset High School.